Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. Today in this episode, um, we chat to Brioni. Um, so she fell pregnant or, you know, she met her husband um, who was five years younger than her when she was about 35 um, and they fell pregnant naturally. Um, she got tested knowing she had low AMH um, and then they fell pregnant naturally. Um and then had to, unfortunately, they lost that pregnancy. She miscarried. Yeah, so she tells us about um, they used a bulk billing clinic. So they were going to go with a private clinic and then found out some information about a bulk billing clinic that would be suitable for them. Um, and so I think she's the first person we've spoken to who's actually had their egg collection under a twilight rather than... <laughs> Yeah, that was um, extremely interesting. So she um, had her egg collection um, on the green whistle rather than going under general, which is just blows my mind because I don't think I could do that. <laughs> no, like that was the best part of collection. For me, <laughs> so, yeah. so you've forgotten about the whole process for <laughs> twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So she did that, and they're now mm-hmm. pregnant. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Brioni is, um, I don't know, she's a real character. I really enjoyed um, inter- interviewing her and, and listening to her speak about her journey. Um, she's quite an open book and just pretty straightforward with it all, I think, you know. Um, yeah, so she's she is openly admitting to us that she um, – isn't a researcher and just doesn't want to know sort of what's going on past the next step. Um, whereas her husband was uh, a bit different and a bit, bit more of a researcher and wanted to know more about things that were going on. So it's a bit of a different perspective than what we're used to. So we hope you enjoy listening to today's show. Thanks for joining us today, Veroni. Thanks for having me. Did you just want to get us started um, and tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, your family? Sure. So my name is Bryony. I um, have been with my partner for seven or eight years. Um, I didn't meet him until I was 35. So I guess you could say by that stage, I already knew that my clock was ticking. Um, and by the time we were married and we, we knew up front that we definitely wanted a family, Um, He comes from a really close family. I have a really close family. So it was always really important to us. Um, By the time we decided we were ready to actually try for a family, I was 40. So we knew that things, he's 35 at that stage. So he's five years younger than me. Um, So we knew that we were potentially going to be on an uphill battle as far as that whole process worked. yeah, so our journey pretty much started, we were aware of it initially when we first met, but probably two years ago, we started to look at 
conceiving, trying naturally, and then looking at options um, if that didn't work. So I met my husband when I was 35. Um, At that stage, I knew my clock was ticking. Um, He was 30 at the time. He's five years younger than me. Um, We always wanted a family. It was really important to both of us. He's from a big family and I'm from a big family. Um, By the time we got married and decided we were ready to be adults and potentially look after children, I was 40. Um, I had gone in to have my AMH count done because I was worried that I would have a low egg count Um, and I was right. So I knew that because of my age being 40, I would be in the low percentile with egg counts, but within that low percentile for my age, I was also low in general. So before we even tried to conceive naturally, um, I knew that we were probably up against it. My husband didn't have sperm analysis done at that stage, Um We got married and pretty much straight away tried to conceive naturally. Prior to that, I had done all the things that I think women who aren't sure about how easily they will conceive do, like taking your temperatures, really getting familiar with your uh, cycle. And we'd done all that. And magically, in our second month of trying, we conceived naturally. Um... So we conceived with twins, which was amazing and overwhelming at the same time. Um, But two months into that, I miscarried both of them. So that was really hard um, to think that it's hard to think that the whole process will be really hard to find out that it's relatively easy and then to have it taken away from you. Um, within kind of a two or three month window is a massive Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, head fuck I guess Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and it was really hard for us it I there was a lot of tears um, a lot of just trying to get your head around everything around um, just even thinking that it was so easy like how can it be this easy and then be taken away and Um, whose fault is it? Is it my fault? Did I do something wrong? Um, so once we got kind of back on track, I pretty much straight away was keen to start trying again because I also consistently had in the back of my head that my clock was ticking. Um, and I think we tried for about six months conceiving naturally and it just didn't happen. And at the six month mark, I had turned around. We had always talked about possibilities of IVF. We'd even looked into fostering. Um, This is pre-natural conception as well. Um, So I was kind of like, I think we need to just bite the bullet and look at IVF because by that stage I was nearing 41 I still obviously knew that I had a low egg count Um, and it just so happened that I was talking to a girlfriend of mine who was also doing IVF um, 
who had also gone on a really similar path to me as far as um, conceiving through IVF, um, miscarrying, and then she'd continued her IVF rounds to try and fall pregnant again. And it just so happened that I was talking to her about her process and she mentioned that I knew, I guess I knew the cost involved from seeing private fertility specialists just from friends that had gone through it. I am a massive oversharer mm-hmm. and will <laughs> tell everybody anything that they want to know up to a point, which is tricky because my husband is a massive introvert. So <laughs> he will, he will probably familiar. die when yeah. he hears this podcast. <laughs> like he will just be like, oh, he, he will, he will die. <laughs> He sounds like Ezra. Yeah. (laughs) I feel Um, that. And I should say, he's all for me doing the podcast. He was very used to my oversharing, um, (laughs) but he definitely did not need to partake in it. Um, But being an oversharer, IVF for me was never something that I felt like I wanted to hide from people. I didn't ever feel like it was going to be something that I would feel ashamed about or that I felt like I would need to keep a secret about it um and hence was talking to a girlfriend at my um just talking about her process and what she'd been through she was seeing a private fertility specialist and the costs to me were astronomical like just hearing about how much money it costs to do around or you know every step of the way there seemed to be like another ridiculously high bill and in my head I was like we don't have that money like we don't have the money to outlay and then wait weeks or months to get the rebate back to kind of make it bearable um and my friend came up to me one day after her IVF appointment and said oh my gosh I've just heard the most amazing thing from my fertility specialist I was like tell me more educate me I'm ready to go And she essentially told me that her specialist made a throwaway comment at the end of their appointment that she was off to finish the afternoon at a different practice that essentially was a bulk billing IVF practice. And I was like, what do you mean bulk billing? Like, (laughs) tell me more. And she gave me the name of the clinic and said, look, ironically, we both were seeing the same we were going to the same obstetricians at the same private clinic. Mine was an obstetrician. Hers at that stage was a fertility specialist. And she said, it's the same doctors. It's like the exact same people. It's just a different clinic and they bulk bill. And I was like, okay. So I went away and researched it, made some calls, did some inquiries. And at the time just kind of thought we'd been trying for six months since the miscarriage. And I thought, I'll just call and book up. Like if there's a three-month wait or however long it's going to be, at least I can get on the books now. We can keep trying and we'll see what happens. And when I called up, they were kind of like, so do you want to come in next week? And I was like, uh, sure, <laughs> thanks. So we went together and I think the other um, – is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I'm not sure. The other thing that worked in our favor definitely was because of my age. Um, There was none of the waiting of, I'd heard stories where 
specialists say, no, you have to try for 12 months or you have to try for 18 months before they will even consider taking you on. Mm -hmm. Um, So because I was old already (laughs) um, and because I already had a low egg count and was low within the low egg count, um, sadly they worked for me and we kind of didn't have to wait. Like they were happy with us trying for six months. Um, So... We went and for me, I know that I've listened to your stories and I can't remember which one, forgive me. One of you was saying that you felt really empowered by um, giving yourself knowledge, learning everything that you could, knowing that you were in control as much as you could be, educating yourself, um, knowing what was going on. And the whole time that I was listening to that, I was terrified because <laughs> I'm the kind of person that is like, nope, I don't need to know. Like, don't tell me the bigger picture. <laughs> I think that's. Me. I think that was probably both of us. Like, I think Tiffany's very much an information researcher and so are we. And yeah, like I was really like, I need to know everything because I, that's my form of control as well. So I find that really interesting that you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, I was, I'm definitely a, don't, don't give me the bigger picture. It will just terrify me. Like I need to compartmentalize my life. (laughs) I need you just to tell me what's coming up next. What do I need to do about it? How do I get through that? And then let's start the process again. Like then tell me what's coming up next. Don't overwhelm me. And I think for me, because it was such, um, it's so emotional anyway. Like you don't realise, or I certainly didn't realise, um, I thought I had it all together. Like I thought, I was like, I can do this. Like it's just an appointment. What What are they going to do? Like you can have the appointment, have the initial consultation. If it's not for you, it's not for you. Like it's not a big deal. And we got there and my husband, bless him, is, probably like you guys he will research everything he loves knowledge he loves to know what's going on we are completely chalk and cheese in every aspect um but we went to our first appointment and learnt really quickly um I would say up front if people are going to look at doing research on bulk billing fertility specialist centers um We learnt straight away, if you are wanting to build a relationship with a fertility specialist, for us, I wouldn't recommend it um, because you see a different nurse every time, you see a specialist, a different specialist every time. There's no relationship building whatsoever. Um, And for us, we were fine with that. We didn't really have any concerns. I think for me, that was based around the fact that we had a private obstetrician. So I always kind of knew in the back of my head that for me, the IVF was the step to getting where I needed to be to build that relationship with my obstetrician. Um, so we learned straight away that relationship side of things with, filter, with our fertility specialist centre that we went to um, was not really a thing, which we were fine with. But the first appointment to me and I don't know how many other people go through this but it was so incredibly overwhelming like if somebody had said to me looking back 
there were moments where after that first consultation, I was like, what are we doing? Like, this is, it's too much. They were talking in acronyms that I didn't understand. (laughs) They were going so fast and it was a 90 minute consultation. And there was like paperwork that we hadn't even thought about that probably comes from my lack of wanting to educate myself and (laughs) feeling overwhelmed. Had I have educated myself, it probably wouldn't have been an initially overwhelming appointment. Um, But things that you just, and I don't know, again, if it's me not just not having that knowledge, but um, the consent forms, like consent, are we both consenting to do this? Are we both consenting to store eggs? What happens if one person doesn't want to store eggs and one person does? Or what happens if one person then down the track wants to use frozen embryos and just all this stuff that seems so overwhelming. Like I was like, what? Do we have to make decisions on this now? Because I've literally just walked in the door to kind of hear about the journey and the process. And I think I thought it would be all magical and (laughs) wonderful. And I came out of it just going, oh my gosh, like that's, it's too much. Like I can't deal with this. Yeah, your head sort of spins on your shoulders a bit and you're like, what the fuck just happened to me? (laughs) It was really, really overwhelming. And I think from memory, I went back to work after it and I was just going, I don't even understand what we've just done. Like this is ridiculous. But once I got home and went through the paperwork and processed it, it was... Like it all makes sense. And again, for me, it's that compartmentalization of just doing one thing at a time and getting through one thing and moving on to the next thing. And um, so we continued on with it and my account was low. They then decided to do straight away a sperm analysis on my husband and his results also came back low. So which is really terrible But in a way, I was kind of relieved. Like I was like, okay, pressure's not just on me here. Like we've both got stuff going on. (laughs) We both need to figure out what to do. Because initially, although we fell pregnant um, and we're twins, I still, for the entire time of not being able to fall pregnant again, was like, this is my fault. Like it's my egg count. I can't do this. I'm the one whose body is failing us. Um, And I think as much as it's really hard for women going through that, like my husband just felt like he couldn't, he was lost not being able to do anything about it, like not being able to help me. And it's that sense of every month also as a woman, you have the job of having to turn around to your partner um and say like saying we're not pregnant again this month and whether it's you know whether your partner partner's female or male or whatever if you're the one that you've decided to carry and nurture that child or that embryo you're the one that has to do the test and you're the one that has to turn around month after month and go yeah no like didn't mm-hmm. happen again mm-hmm. And it's so hard. Like you don't, I I certainly didn't realise how hard it was. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as women too, like you you get your period. Like it's like a physical reminder too, like when you get your period every month and then you have to deal with that for however long your period goes on for as well. 
Like it's and it, like nobody loves getting their period. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but it's like you get it, and then on top of it, like I used to have for a split second or a couple of seconds that morning, I'd be like, "Oh, here we go again," and then five seconds later, I'd be like, "And we're not pregnant." Like it would be that instant thought of this has happened again this month and that's going to suck for the next seven days or whatever. But then it turns straight to, and we're not pregnant. So my body's failed me again. My body's failed us again. But now I also have to send a text message <laughs> to my husband <laughs> to go, FYI, not pregnant. What's for dinner tonight? Like, <laughs> it's just, And it's really, really hard. And so I think... As selfish as it is, hearing that he had a low sperm count kind of made me go, okay, good. Like, not good, obviously, because it makes the whole process a lot harder. Um, but from a emotional side of things, it kind of took the pressure off me a bit. And I tell this story only because <laughs> he then stopped drinking alcohol stopped drinking caffeine did like and I know I think somewhere I saw that it takes like 90 days to fully within your body rectify all of that um but he did a sperm analysis I think a month later and he came back with a really great count and I was like what the heck (laughs) like how is it possible for you to fix something something like that within a month and now it's all back on me. Like this does not seem fair. I've stopped caffeine for months and months now and I've stopped drinking and which again was good. It was great that, you know, second time round testing for him, his count was so much better. Um, but at that stage we decided to go ahead with our first goal at IVF. Um, we... The needles for me were fine and I I was lucky in the sense that I actually ended up having a lot of girlfriends, like four or five, that were doing IVF or had done IVF that were really open to talking about it. Um, they'd all had completely different experiences but every single one of them was like, yeah, the needles suck. Like they're just going to suck for you. Um, and they actually didn't. They weren't that bad. And I hate needles. I hate needles. I do. But for me, it's like, this is what you got to do. Like, you can't not do it. If this is where you're at with IVF, you don't have a choice. So you just do it. Um, and I didn't mind them. I think because from stories that I'd heard, I dramatized everything in my head. And for me, it was the same with the entire IVF process. I think because I went into it thinking potentially the worst as far as pain goes, um, things were never as bad as I thought they were going to be. So we did our first round of IVF and through that round, we did the egg Stop me if I'm wrong because, you know, I've just explained that I didn't educate myself on this. (laughs) Uh, We did the egg collection, egg pickup, egg collection, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it. The harvesting. 
harvesting it much nicer. Um, I did it in the chair, so I didn't. Oh go my god! Under. So you did didn't it? Have... Oh, you did it under twilight sedation. Oh my god! You are one tough bitch. That's crazy. If, if you call it twilight sedation, I certainly didn't call it that. <laughs> Which again is probably part of the bulk bill service. Yeah. Um, which again. We did get told when we got to that stage, we could actually opt to decide if we wanted to go to a hospital and have full um, sedation, anaesthetic, knock myself out. I was like, no, it's fine. I'll do it in the chair, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) And then as the day came, I was like, oh, I talked to my girlfriends and I was like, so about your egg pickup in the chair. And all of them were like, no way. Like, what? (laughs) No. I was like, hang on. You crazy no girl. One, does no one have it in the chair? And everyone was like, hell no. I was like, oh, this is not helpful now. Like, you're all dead to me. How am I supposed <laughs> to do this on my own? I thought I so, was tough getting my wisdom teeth out in the chair, but that's this is a whole new level. So this is so fascinating. Well, see, I had had wisdom teeth out in the chair. So yeah. I was like, no, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and when you think about it, slightly yeah. different process. To yeah. the teeth out. It's I kind of internal. Yeah. But, um, and it was funny because one of you was telling a story about having like the day surgery and looking around the room and wondering who might be there, like whose particular surgery was going to be egg pickup. And for me, everybody there, like you know that everybody's doing the same thing in the chair, mm-hmm. <laughs> one person after the other. And I have to say, it was actually not terrible. Like I know I have a high pain threshold, um, but for those that haven't done it and are curious about it, the idea of sitting in a room ready to go in your gown with your booties and your little hat. I imagine everything is the same as an actual day surgery until you get to the point where they hand you like the green whistle. Panadol. Well, not even that. Initially, I think I got two Panadol or two Panadine Ford or something and they were like, here you go. I was like, what? I would take this for a bad headache. Like this is not going to help me. Where's the rest of my drugs? So I took them and was sitting in the chair and I can remember texting my husband and my sister just going, um, they've just given me pain forward and they think it's going to touch the sides. Like what's going on here? And yeah, like, like yeah, I've taken yeah. harder stuff on the weekends, yeah. mate. I was like, no, this is not, I need more drugs. And then you go into the room and obviously you sit in the chair and there's a scientist in the corner with her microscope doing scientific things and there's a nurse and then there's the fertility specialist and they kind of start and they tell you know do you want to know what's going on or do you want to just zone out and I was like no tell me what's going on and all of a sudden they kind of started and I knew going into it that potentially I think they were looking at hopefully collecting about eight and I was like okay I can deal like how long's eight take like honestly and they'd said the whole thing takes five minutes so I was like okay I can do this five minutes is fine and they kind of started and I was like where's my 
where's my drugs? Like, I'm still <laughs> waiting for these other drugs to kick in. And thankfully, then they gave me the green whistle. Mm-hmm. And within about 30 seconds, I was like, this is what I was waiting for. Like, <laughs> I wanted the massive head fuck and <laughs> I just wanted, like, what I the completely high? knew what they were all still doing. Um, and I actually started, like, smirking and laughing at one point. And the nurse that was up, at my head with me bless her she was holding my hand and she said are you all right <laughs> and I was like yeah I'm fine <laughs> she was like are you sure and I said yeah I've just noticed there's a boy band on the radio and it's really funny to me because I was a child of the 90s that was obsessed with boy bands <laughs> and I said it's really funny to me that I'm having egg pickup and of course there's like a boy band on the radio and she just (laughs) thought I was so special like she was just like you've lost the plot but for me it's like the one thing that I remember as being really funny and I was was like typically me that a boy band came on the radio but honestly it hurts more than a pap smear I'm not Mm -hmm. gonna lie but it's nowhere near excruciating. It's completely bearable um, and it takes less than five minutes. And so for me and for from a price point, like it was amazing. I'm, I imagine the recovery process is the same regardless of which, um, which way you have the egg pickup um, unless Anna, I can never say the word, anesthetic. Anesthetic, unless that knocks you around, because obviously if you do that, it's going to be a worse recovery. But for us, um, they only ended up being able to get four eggs, so that was disappointing. Um, but recovery for me from that process was also pretty good. Um, I have to say, recovery from that process was actually a lot better than recovery from having a DNC from the miscarriage. So comparatively, I guess for me in that situation, I was kind of like, well, this is good. Like it's completely manageable. It's completely doable. And I knew straight away that if we had to go again, I would 100% do it the same way again. Um, So that happened. I got picked up. We went home. And then... As is the case, you kind of get those follow-up calls every day to tell you we were doing an ICSI process. Um, Our fertility specialist had just decided that for us in our situation with our statistics, we weren't going to beat around the bush. We were just going to go straight into the ICSI process. So pretty much straight away from the next day, we were getting phone calls letting us know how our eggs, eggs, embryos were going. Um, and from that process of the four, we were successful in two of those, um, turning into viable embryos that had a really good grade as well. Like whatever the top grade is, I can't remember, um, another statistic and piece of education that I just was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Can you, when you give me that (laughs) result, can you tell me in a different format that is just, make sense to normal people that don't know IVF um but so we went back in a couple of days later to do our first uh transfer 
and were technically pregnant as you technically are after that happens. Um, and then I think within, I'm going to say 10 days, we realized that it wasn't successful. So that was disappointing to know that you kind of go through all of that and it wasn't successful because I guess the other misconception is you think that if you go through all of that and particularly with us doing the ICSI version, we were like, well, we're pregnant. Like this is it. It's already in there. It's already an embryo. This like we're good. And so for someone to give you just a call and go, nah, you're not good. Um, it was really disappointing. And for us too, we knew that we only had one more frozen embryo as an option um, before we needed to start looking at doing the whole process again. So we opted pretty much to straight away do the next round that we could do as far as the transfer went. Um, for me, and I don't know if it's the case with other people, I didn't have to take any other drugs between the processes. So I didn't have to do any needles for the second round. There was no. So there's no progesterone support or estrogen support for you? No, none of it. So they were just kind of like, you're fine. Just we'll get blood tests done. And when your cycle time's right, we'll get you back in. Mm -hmm. So I did that with the second round, went back in for the transfer and feel like again the same thing probably within a week we got a call saying we were pregnant like officially um and we have been successful in that pregnancy ever since and I'm currently six months pregnant that's such awesome news we it's actually something we haven't heard recently is it Tiff yeah (laughs) that someone's been successful so that's great congratulations Thank you. We did what we could with yeah. the science provided. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's been real, and we feel really lucky because, like I said, we only had two eggs to start with. Oh, well, mm-hmm. we only had four to start with. Um, we only had two that we knew were potentially going to be viable. Um, so for us to get it on the last one and for it to be successful, we feel really lucky. But um, cautiously optimistic is how I like to describe it to people. Um, you have that sense of fear and knowing that you went through all of that to get pregnant and that obviously for us with our very first experience of pregnancy being miscarriage of twins um, you're always fearful that it can be taken away at any given moment but I also think for us I wanted to reach out to you guys and talk on this podcast because having girlfriends and families that have been through IVF whose stories are completely different to mine, um, who have had a lot, much longer journeys than we have had. Um, I guess I wanted to come out and be the person that was like, it can be easy for some people. And I know that that sounds like probably, um, like, Oh, lucky me, lucky me. Isn't it so easy? And haven't I got it? you know, aren't I the best and look at everything that's worked for me. And, but I wanted people to know that you often hear the really hard stories, like the really hard, upsetting stories that are just gut wrenching. 
But everybody's story is different and there are going to be pockets of people out there that turn around and get it on their first round or, you know, get 16 eggs that are able to be collected that then turn into viable embryos that are then frozen and they've got like a whole tribe to work from Um, because I don't think you hear often enough about the easy stories like certainly for me coming into it anybody that I had contact with on a personal level that was going through it the stories were really hard like most of them had been trying for two years or more most of them had had miscarriages most of them had had you know if you're trying for two years or more you know that there's a lot of unsuccessful rounds that are going on in there and a lot of needles that are being given and a lot of extra hormones that are happening um so I guess for us we were really lucky and also I think I wanted to get the story out there about for us the bulk billing experience like not needing to worry massively about the financial side of things because the center that we found were amazing Mm -hmm. and were reasonably cheap like we paid under a thousand dollars for each round and Mm. to me that was just mind-blowing yeah that's um crazy but I think you know, just with regards to what you were saying before about how you feel like, you know, you sort of like, you're not meaning for it to come across as, you know, lucky us or anything like that in in wanting to get your positive story out there. I think it's important too, because like, and you know, I don't mean this in a derogatory way or anything, but just your age group as well. Like you hear so, so many women with low AMH levels, um, that, you know, really struggle to fall pregnant and, you know, f- to hear your story, I think it's, 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 it is important to sort of balance the good with the bad. Do you know what I mean? So I think, you know, yeah, like it, it's wonderful that you wanted to come on here and share your story because it is such a positive experience and that's completely okay. There's going to be people who have, it's a spectrum, you know, um, and so I think just having, and, you know, you've had a positive well, it sounds like you've had a positive experience all round. Um, so I think that's also really important to hear because it's actually okay if you go through IVF and you're not traumatised and you actually have a really positive experience, you know. It's like I think sometimes it can nearly be a bit of a competition for people to kind of be like, I've had it this hard. How ha- how hard have you had it? Oh, you haven't had it as hard as me. I've had it harder than you, you know, mm. and, and not meaning to sort of – like every experience is different from every person's perspective, you know, depending on, on a whole range of things. But I think having some positive stories out there is a really beautiful way to sort of balance out those harder ones as well. I completely agree. And it was, you know, there were definitely hard moments. And like I said, every month I I can only imagine the amount of women that have a big shower cry that, get in the shower, you know, whether it's every month or every day where you think I've got this and you hold it together for the entire day. And I know particularly for me, I certainly have moments where I'm generally a really optimistic person. Um, I'm generally uh, quite a happy person. (laughs) 
But I would have moments where, and with, I don't even necessarily know with me that it was the hormones I was injecting at the time. I feel like it just was everything going on. But I would have a shower, shower cry and then think, I've got this, like no one needs to know. And I'd walk out of the shower and I'd take one look at my husband and I'd just start crying. <laughs> he would be like, what's going on? Like, what's wrong? And I'd be like, I just had a shower cry and I thought I was going to come out and be brave and now I'm crying. I've just, all I've had to do is look at you and I'm crying again. And you would just be like, okay, crazy, calm down. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Um, but it's really hard. Like I don't think, and I we have, again, with the, yes, I know how lucky we are, but we had a lot of support from our immediate families. Like we told them everything we were going through every step of the way. Um, and it's still hard like even when I can't even begin to imagine how hard it would be for people that don't have that kind of support network around them because even though we had that I feel like unless you're going through it or unless you've experienced it you can't actually convey to people the toll that it takes on you day after day and month after month and even when you're going through the prep like the two weeks of prep with the injections or whatever there's still that thing in the back of your head where you know you haven't even hit the stage where (laughs) you're trying to do egg pickup or transfer or whatever it is it's just injections but it's also that pressure of I need this to work like this is my body that's doing this if I can't get it right what's the next step and it just takes a toll on you and I don't think I was certainly not aware of how much it would take a toll on me until it didn't work or until you had that month where you got your period and you were like oh I just went through all of that again for nothing um Mm -hmm. But I just, yeah, and I, mean, I don't, as much as you explain it to people and as much as they can ask questions, and for me, I encouraged people to ask questions, but I know that I got to probably not so much through the IVF process, but once we got pregnant this time round, I know I kind of backed away and shut down from people because I was nervous that we would miscarry again, so people would to get involved and trying to get excited for me and for us um, by asking a lot of questions like how are you going how are you feeling do you have morning sickness and I just didn't really want to overly share with people which is completely the opposite of my personality because it was just draining like I felt like I'd run a marathon and I just wanted to stop and just be like let's not talk about this for three months anymore. Like let's get to 12 weeks and then we can talk about it all. I think that comes. Yeah. Like that's going to come from your past experiences too. Like with your first pregnancy um, as well, you know, and that, that level of vulnerability. And I, I think in, in, affect powerlessness that comes with you know pregnancy loss and things like that as well so and I think there's this assumption and we've been talking about this on our Instagram that once you're pregnant you're fixed and 
all of your anxiety just goes away. And I think a lot of us who achieve the pregnancy and fall pregnant are finding that that's just not the case. And, you know, you sort of join these parenting groups and the due date groups and all of those sort of things. And, you know, other people sort of aren't experiencing a similar, similar level of anxiety that comes with it. So I think that can be a bit of a shock as well. It's really interesting to see how, um, just to see how everybody reacts as well to going through, to hearing that you're going through IVF. Um, and I think the conversation needs to be louder. I feel the same way about miscarriage as well. Um, it's not until, and I know it's, they're both for some people, hard topics to bring up. Um, like you don't start a conversation with how was your weekend? Did you have a miscarriage? Like, how do you, how do you even start that conversation with people um, to make it more common practice to share with people? Because it's the kind of thing much like IVF where when I told people about miscarriage and people that I've known for years and years and years and years and years would turn around and say, oh, I've had three or, oh, I had one last year. And you would just be like, what? Like nobody talks about this. And I guess for some people it's intensely private and there's no way that they would, like it's too hard to even bring up, let alone share with people. Um, But much like IVF, I feel like the more people talk about it and the more people understand it, I know there's an irony in there because I don't educate myself about it the way I should, but the more that people understand it and um, just get on board with it and aren't afraid to ask questions and are happy to be part of the conversation, I think will just make it a lot easier for everybody going through it because you learn so much about that person just from that experience. Like I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about my husband. I learned a lot about my family and my close friends that knew we were going through it just from an IVF process. Mm-hmm. When you say that you learned about yourself and you learned so much about your husband, what, what do you mean by that? Um, I learned that I was stronger than I thought I was going to be, but I also learned that I was a lot more vulnerable than I thought I was going to be, which I know they're two complete opposites, but I always knew that I would be able to deal with the physical side of things. Um, I knew that I had a high pain threshold and I knew that as much as I hated needles, I'd be able to give myself injections, you know, twice a day or however many times it was. Um, I knew that I would be able to have, I would be able to go to appointments on my own if I had to. I knew that I'd be able to have an appointment that was really hard and then go back to work. Um, But I knew that I would potentially be a massive crybaby um, given any opportunity <laughs> that I could. But it was also just, I think what crept up on me through the whole IVF process was 
letting myself be vulnerable about my body and my body's capabilities, um, which to me was a completely different side to being emotionally vulnerable. Like I had to learn a lot about accepting my body for trying to do its best, <laughs> for <laughs> for taking on the extra hormones and for getting through it and um that was a massive learning curve for me like and I'm still not at peace with it like I still think that there was a lot of I put a lot of pressure on myself and I put a lot of pressure on it being my body not being able to do the things that we wanted it to do um so I think having to learn to become really open and vulnerable to that was something I wasn't expecting I mean you know in your head well I knew in my head going into it that because I had was already aware of my age and the low egg count that it was potentially all going to be down to me if things didn't work out Um, but for me until I was going through it although I'd been going through it every month that we weren't pregnant leading up to that When you think you have science behind you and medical professionals and you're doing all of the things that you get told that you should be doing, you just think it should work. Like you think, hang on, there's all these people that have degrees that have been doing this for years that have had however many babies born through their practices or whatever. Um, So you kind of go into it going, well, this is, going to work like of course it is this is mm-hmm. this is their job <laughs> like yeah. I go and do my job every day and <laughs> stuff gets done like why can't they do their job every day and stuff just gets done yeah it's just um, a plus b equals c that's just yeah, how it works <laughs> completely and when it doesn't equal c at all it just equals a big fat nothing mm-hmm. you're like but I did everything you told me to do mm-hmm. like I and it was just I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like the emotional side is one thing, but for me it was getting my head around my body's limits, I guess, Mm -hmm. and that realisation of if science can't help me with this, um, if I have changed my habits, become more healthy, started exercising, you know, not drinking, I don't smoke, if I've gone off any medication that I was on that could have made things trickier for us, like if you've done everything you can do and it still doesn't work, you're kind of stuck there going, well, then it's my body. Like, and you can't change that. So I found that quite difficult, even though I knew all of that to start with, it was that realisation of if this is the last step for us, if this is, you know, where we end up before we look at potentially fostering or adoption, um, if it doesn't work, it's my body. And that's really hard. Yeah, there's definitely a certain amount of acceptance that you sort of need to work through mm-hmm. with that sort of realisation. And, you know, there's just this sort of um, dichotomy between strength and vulnerability when you're going through IVF because you're sort of 
trying to present a strong, you're presenting a strong, like you said, you know, like you just sort of, you know, together with your partner, but then there are times where you need to allow yourself to be vulnerable. And I think in actual fact, that's part of the acceptance part too, you know, like that you have to even go through this process um, and that it's going to, to take most of the things that other people don't have to worry about, you know, that they have control over out completely out of your hands. And, you know, you sort of just have to surrender, surrender yourself to the process. Um, so I think, yeah, there's definitely different levels. And obviously, like I'm speaking from my own experience there as well. Um, but yeah, there's just got to be this certain level of acceptance that, you know, you can only do what you can do. And past that point, it's just out of your hands, I suppose. Mm. I think there's a whole other side that I didn't hear much about prior that is about the partner, um, unless you're obviously doing it on your own. But for me, in our experience, I hadn't really, because I'm selfish, I hadn't really thought about Stuart at all in any of it. I mean, I'd obviously thought about him, but he, like he would get upset for me. And I would be like, why are you upset? Like, how, what's going on? And I also had to get my head around um, taking on board that although it was all happening to me physically, that that was impacting him because he had no control over it um, and because he couldn't feel what I was going through because he didn't have to give himself the injections because it did feel like the pressure was all on me he had the flip side of that of feeling for him completely vulnerable completely out of control um and kind of just had to watch me go through it all and put up with a lot of my (laughs) emotions at the same time but it was interesting for me going through that and having that light bulb moment of going oh Like I need to take a step back because you actually play a really big part of this and it is affecting you emotionally. Like it might not be affecting you physically, but as much as he was the strong, resilient, always there in the background, really quiet because that's his personality, um, it played a big toll on him as well. And a (laughs) part of that toll was not only what we were both experiencing together, which was obviously the side that I knew of not being able to conceive and going through IVF, but it was the side of him where I guess he couldn't protect me and he couldn't help me and there was nothing that he could do other than just be there. And I think he found that really difficult as well because he was like, well, much like I guess me with my body going, well, what do you do now? he was kind of like, well, I can't fix this for you. Like I can't make it better. I can't not have you take needles. Like you have to keep injecting yourself. Obviously if I wanted to stop, I would have, but I didn't think about that through any of the process until it happened. And I don't know that he necessarily even thought that it would be a thing until it happened for him. But you don't, or I certainly hadn't heard about the partner's side of that in any of the conversations that I'd had leading up to it. I think you've made a really good point there because, I mean, society constructs of masculinity require men 
you know, to be, like you said, resilient, stoic and supportive and protective and all of those things. And IVF calls all of that into question. I mean, like if you're looking at it deeply under like a microscope, like you've just said, like he couldn't, like I'm sure if he could do those injections for you, like instead of you, he would have done that, you know. But there's just this constant conflict within, you know, the whole process that essentially, you know, I know particularly for Ezra, because it was male infertility, he felt like he couldn't provide for me, which is just, you know, for me, I try not to buy into that sort of stuff so much because it's kind of like, I know, like for me, I I just don't really, you know, like it. Um, But he kept saying to me, and even now he says he just wishes he he can't provide, you know, for me what I want and what his job is as a man is to reproduce. so I think, yeah, like it kind of kind of makes them sort of feel a bit vulnerable as well, which is also why we've sort of encouraged, you know, anytime partners want to come on the podcast that they can, because hearing that other side to it um, is so important to the narrative that we're trying to create, I think. Would, would you say that, Tiff? What would you say? Yeah, yeah definitely. I think, like I know Joe sort of talked about, he didn't really have a whole lot of friends that could communicate about it. And, and like, the friends he did have that talked about it, who had experienced it, always played on the negatives as well, which I think we mm-hmm. sort of touched on earlier. Like, you hear a lot of the bad and not so much of the good. Mm-hmm. Like, I can remember at the start him being told by someone that, you know, you're just going to be crazy, you're going to want to move out, like all these terrible things. And he was sort of like, well, no, it's my job to support her through this, like we're doing this together. Mm-hmm. So, but there was that expectation for him to sort of not have that feeling. Yep. Yeah, it's just, it's it's really interesting. I find, you know, the more we get into this, the more, you know, you sort of, there's other elements that you don't even consider when you're starting IVF treatment, you know, like you've just mentioned, Bryony, like there's a whole other aspect to your treatment that you didn't even consider before you entered it, you know, and now that you're on sort of the other side of it at the moment, you can sort of hindsight, you know, you can see it. And I find that really interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's been, it's definitely been a process, but I think, as I said, we are really incredibly lucky, like everything for us, every step of the way, um, as much as it could have been, was a good experience. Um, um, I think we've been incredibly lucky, like every step of the way has been relatively easy for us. Um, That's... And we've just connected with the right people. I think for me, talking to people about it has been really helpful for me. um, It's almost been therapeutic having conversations with people, particularly those have been through it, but also close friends that I've trusted that haven't been through it, that asked questions that um, let me have my breathing space, but would also let me open up conversations about it and start conversations and to their credit would show the right amount of interest at the right time. And I guess that's part of 
you know, solid quality friendships where you know each other's personalities. Um, but I, for us and our experience, I couldn't recommend enough. Just research and options on, you know, what sort of process is going to suit you through the IVF journey because everybody's going to be different and everybody's experience is going to be different. And I think, and like shop around, the first fit that you have might not be the fit that's right for you. There's other options out there Mm -hmm. um, to investigate and to kind of work through and have conversations with people and get their feedback and get their thoughts and don't be afraid to ask the questions to people that have been through it, but also to people that haven't been through it. Like I had a lot of conversations with my sisters that haven't been through it um, about just the hypotheticals, like what if, and they know nothing about the process. They do now, obviously, but at the time knew nothing about the process, but having those hypothetical conversations of, you know, what if this is going to happen? And, or what if I hate this nurse or, you know, what if this is the outcome of this? And it's that whole experience of trying to get your head around things and trying to figure out where you think you'll be, even though you clearly have no idea where you're going to be. Um, but it's, I think it's just connecting with people and not being afraid to be vulnerable and to share and just be really honest about it is the other thing. Um, having conversations with people about it where you just only hear the positives I think can be really negative was there any really bad advice that you received and is there any sort of advice that you (laughs) would give to like we're hoping that people are perhaps listening who have family or friends going through IVF is there any advice you would give those people as well um I don't know that I got any bad advice as far as IVF goes Um, because for me learning and hearing about everybody's different story um, was always beneficial. I was always aware that my story would be different to theirs um, even if we were doing the same exact processes that how I felt would be completely different to obviously how they felt because you know, some of them were same-sex couples. Some of them had been doing it for two or three years. I was brand new going into it. So I think having those conversations was never negative. Um, for me, the thing throughout the whole process that stood out as a negative was my advice would probably be if you find out that someone miscarries or that... Um, probably more so miscarry than IVF their response generally is not to say well at least you know you can get pregnant (laughs) that's probably the worst response that I got um didn't go down well (laughs) and I, I I I see the thought behind it because obviously I was 40 and that person already knew that I had done my AMH and I had a low egg count so you know I as I said as an oversharer people were aware that we were trying that it might be a difficult process and 
you know, that kind of thing. So probably my advice there would be that's probably not the appropriate response when you find out that a friend has miscarried. Um, But for friends and families, I think it really is just to follow, like take the lead of the, the people that are going through it. I think you'll know pretty quickly if they want to talk about certain things and if they want to share and if you know them and you're supportive of them, it should be quite easy to identify that. Um, For me, I shared a lot with anyone that wanted to listen just because our whole process was really positive and I was actually excited to let people know that um, it can be a good experience and that you know, from the start, everything happened, uh, everything happened better than we thought it was going to. And I wanted people to be aware of that so that they could also share that story of, you know, IVF doesn't have to always be completely traumatic. Like there can be some really good positive aspects to it other than, you know, obviously creating life and having a baby at the end of it. Um, but for family and friends, I just say to listen and to take cues from the people going through it. I had some friends that were much like me, really willing to share, be really open. And then I had other friends that just weren't comfortable with it at all. Like sharing's not their thing. Their private life is their private life. And I think it's okay to know that people are going through it you just have to be respectful of it. And I think even if it's people that don't want to necessarily share every detail to check in and just say, Hey, you know, how are you going first and foremost as a human being? And then how are you going with your cycles? Like, where are you at? Is there anything you need? I'm here if you want to talk about it. Cause I think sometimes too, people can forget that you're still you and you're still you're the couple or whoever you are going through it you're not just the needles and the treatments yeah it, I mean we've spoken to someone before and she said that her friends or you know people would ask her how's the IVF going you know rather before they'd even say how are you you know so it's kind of like yeah. You're not the treatment isn't necessarily always the only thing that's happening in your life and sometimes some people don't want to be defined by that either. And sometimes the treatment is going great, but you as a person mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. on shower cry day 3. <laughs> and the yeah. question is how is IVF going? It's probably going great. But me as a human is not doing so great. Not going it, well, you know, exactly. It comes down again to being dependent on who's asking the question and what relationship you have with them. But I think if people mm-hmm. are just really mindful to to take the cues from the people that are involved um, and also don't be afraid to ask questions. They'll either shut you down mm-hmm. pretty quickly, my friends would, they'd be like, yeah, we're not talking about that or, you know, I think you would learn pretty quickly what they're comfortable with telling people. Um, mm-hmm. And I think people that obviously have gone through it are more comfortable sharing their stories with each other because there is that sense of, you know, what I'm going through. Um, but it's just mm-hmm. being 
mindful, I think, of the relationships that you have with that person and also that it, you know, they remain a person the entire time they're going through it. It's not just about the cycle and the treatments. Mm -hmm. Um, You've mentioned quite a few times that you've had low AMH. I can never (laughs) say that. Um, Do you know what your levels were? I think I was 2.6. And I Mm -hmm. don't know what the normal levels are supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I think, and I, again, don't trust me when it comes to anything educational about IVF whatsoever. All I know is my experience. Um, I think depending on who you get your results through, there are two different um, pathology places you can go through. And I think they have two different spectrums. <laughs> so I'm going to be not very helpful as far as that question goes. That's, but I think my egg okay. count was 2.6 and I feel like it was on a scale of, I want to say zero to a thousand. (laughs) So I was really low, like really, really low. The fact that we even fell pregnant with twins naturally was Mm -hmm. ridiculous. Um, Is is there a particular reason that you guys, um, because I know you said you got that tested soon after you met your husband, is there a particular reason that made you want to do that or was it just purely age-based and you're thinking, okay, well, um, you know, I'm over 35 so I may as well just get tested just to see where we're sitting? Um, for me it was purely age-based. I think I got tested, mm-hmm. it wasn't soon after I'd met him, it was probably, I'm going to say about four years after I met him. We'd always had the conversation up front that we both wanted kids Um we mm-hmm. always, it was kind of not a deal breaker. You know, when you have your dates, well, when I dated someone, <laughs> I would have deal breakers <laughs> and some of them were like, yep. must have a job, um, yep. <laughs> must not be a homophobe. Um, and yeah. one of them was, must want kids because I always really wanted kids. I've come from a big family. Family is really important to me. And so we'd had the conversation quite early on that we both wanted kids, that that was what we wanted in our future. So we always knew that we were on the same path. Um, And I think when I'm going to say maybe four years into our relationship, when we actually started about, okay, do we want to get married or do we want to have kids or how do we want to work this? What's our priority? Um, I think we decided to get married first and pretty much as soon as I think he proposed, I was like, well, if we're getting the ball rolling, <laughs> I might Let's now get pregnant. start to figure out what I need to do um, in order to make sure that everything is as good as it can be when that time mm-hmm. comes. And I'd also had um, a few girlfriends who had already been tested for their eggs as well, purely because of age. Um, mm-hmm. One was because of infertility, but I think two others were purely because of age. Um, and they were having the conversations of what's my account like? Do I need to look at freezing, you know, for down the track, even if they were in a relationship or not in a relationship? Like you start to have that conversation as a woman going, well, it's only going to get lower. 
do I need to start thinking Mm -hmm. about this and looking at options now? So by the time Stuart and I had had that conversation, um, we were, I'm going to say, he probably proposed by that stage and I was like, okay. And I just went purely to see. I had a feeling I would be low um, just because I was 40, I guess, or 39 at that stage. Um, Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a surprise. I think I just wanted someone to go, yeah, this is where you're at so that we could start to have those conversations based on fact rather than assumption. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we went from there. But as soon as I got tested and I was low, it was that whole world of, well, what do I need to do to increase the chances of us falling pregnant? And it was, you know, that whole eat better, exercise, don't have caffeine, don't do drugs, not that I ever did, mum, if you're listening, Um, um, you know, don't smoke, those kind of things. So it was kind of just a step in preparing us for the best outcome. Cool. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Bryony? I don't think so. I talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I talk a whole lot. You'll probably have to do a lot of editing just to be like, okay, stop. That story is long enough. No. But no, I think I'm good. I love this. Like I love your podcast and everybody's stories are so interesting, particularly the last run um, with the COVID, with them stopping the infertility, the IVF treatments. And now that it's back, obviously, is huge. But hearing people's stories about that was really interesting. And obviously going through a pregnancy during COVID is also interesting. Yeah. Um, But. Yeah, I find it really helpful and I think people going through it, like for me just hearing people's stories is the best way for me to educate myself. Like I'm not a book Excel spreadsheet person. (laughs) Tiffany is. (laughs) I'm smart in a different way. Everybody has their own smart and mine is not Excel for me. Me either. Yeah. But I'm really good at grammar, though. So if you need me to edit any of your content, <laughs> let me know. I'm a really good seller. It's um, that's um, so funny because Tiffany's got like this sick spreadsheet when it comes to like our recording schedule, and it's just like I look at it and I'm like, I can't even look at it, but it looks so organized. <laughs> I love the organization of an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. Don't get me yeah. wrong; like that blows my mind. I just can't deal with the back end no. of it going, I don't know why that's magic. No. Um, but podcasts to me are like such a good way to learn stuff without feeling like I'm, you know, learning. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Bryony. Thank you both so much for having me. It was super fun and not nearly as terrifying as I thought it might be. so much for joining us today we hope you enjoyed this episode if you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story we will pop the link in the show notes be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes it lands straight into your listen now if you could also leave us a review for the show that would be so appreciated no words are needed just stars If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us to get our show out and about to others experiencing fertility treatment.
IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Vlad Gilushenko. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.